pretty good, right? Faith. We're going to talk about faith this morning. Uh, you guys, I've been a father for about 14 years now, uh, and I love being a dad. Uh, I did not love being a dad to babies. I was not good at the baby stage. I did not enjoy baby justice. Am I allowed to say that? Does that make me a bad person? I remember it does. <laughs> I remember one time uh, I was at work and Adrian called me and she's like, he, Justice was maybe only a month old at the time. He's still just an infant. And, and she said, all he does is sit there. You know, he doesn't do anything. He's boring, right? <laughs> like, entertain me. And I remember when uh, when the game really took off was when he got old enough that he would could laugh at my jokes. And then that was my age, right? That was the age that I enjoyed. Now he's at the age where I am not funny. I'm just embarrassing uh, to him. Uh, but one of the most rewarding parts of being a parent is when your kid uh, takes interest in something that you're personally interested in. Uh, and so this has happened now in my family. I don't have to watch Paw Patrol anymore because Justice likes to watch The Lord of the Rings with me and Star Wars with me, right? We have that shared interest. And thank God both of my boys are playing football and they'll both sit on the couch with me and watch Saskatchewan Rough Riders you know, win or lose, which, if we're honest, it's mostly lose. Uh, but they still sit with me. And so we have these shared interests. It's awesome when that happens. And then sometimes when you're a parent, you discover that you have no nothing in common when they in some of their interests. And this has happened to me with Justice as well. Uh, he has decided he wants to be a fisherman. He loves fishing. It's all he watches on YouTube, people fishing. I don't, I don't get it, right? He, he loves, he, all winter long, he practices his cast in the garage, right? When the snow melts, I find lures all over the backyard. And uh, it, it, I just don't get it. Me, I hate fishing. Fish are gross. I don't want to touch them, right? Like, I like sushi, but I don't want to know where the sushi comes from. And so, because he's a fisherman, I've had to learn how to fish, like, do we, have, do we have a picture of Justice up there? Like, look at this kid. Look at that face, right? He's hooked. He is hooked. No pun intended. <laughs> it, the thing that I dislike most about fishing, right? I really don't like it, but the thing I dislike most about fishing is how many times we've gone out fishing and we've sat on the shore for hours and didn't catch a single thing, right? Sitting on the shore without so much as a nibble for hours. And we've gone so long without catching fish before that I've started to wonder, are there even fish in the river after all? Like maybe fish don't even exist. Like maybe they've always been a figment of my imagination. Have you ever felt this way with God? You can remember times where you caught the feeling of Jesus in your life. You know you remember times when your faith was unshaken. Times when God moved mountains for you. Times when you had peace that you shouldn't have had. Courage that wasn't your own. You remember these times, but a lot of time has passed. And once you stood in the river of God, 
the river of life, and you felt all around you his presence. But days and months and years have gone by without you seeing God like that, without you knowing him in the same way. And it can be easy to wonder, was he ever really there? Did he ever really move? Is God in the river anymore? What do you do when your faith falters? What do you do when your doubts are overwhelming? There's some bad answers to these questions, right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever expressed doubt to someone, uh, you know, that you're having trouble, that you're struggling with your faith, and they just look at you and like, they just have faith. And you're just like, thanks, I didn't think of that. Right? Like, I didn't think of just trying to have more faith. You know, that's that's not that's not helpful. I, I'm, I'm an Enneagram 3, and Enneagram is just a... Uh, kind of a personality assessment like Myers-Briggs. And, uh, and, uh, and, and type threes, we're called achievers, right? We like to solve problems. If you come to me, uh, I, I'll, I'll listen to you talk about a problem in your life. And all I'm thinking about in my head is how to solve that problem for you. This works out great in marriage, uh, you know, like, <laughs> just, yeah. You know, if, if I have a personal problem, right, like I'm, I'm always trying to find a way to will through it, to solve it. I'm a problem solver. This is what I like doing. But what if faith isn't a problem that we can solve ourselves? What if faith isn't something we can just womp up by trying harder, praying more? What if it's not something that we can do ourselves? What if faith is a gift? I want this morning to look at the story of a father who struggled with his faith and see if we can learn anything about what it means to have faith. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, the book of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. In your Bible, there's the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's just old because it's older. And then the New New Testament, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark. We're in Mark this morning, Mark chapter Nine, uh, And our story begins with Mark telling us about Jesus arriving on the scene where there's a lot of commotion happening. So there's these disciples, his disciples, that are his followers, the guys he's teaching uh, and mentoring. And then there's these teachers of the law, which are like the, the religious elite people. And he, he shows up on the scene and these two groups are fighting. They're arguing. And, uh, and Mark tells us that Jesus begins by asking his disciples, what's up? Uh, Mark 9, 16 through 18. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asks. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him and throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, his, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your, your disciples to drive out this spirit, but they could not. We have the makings of a very interesting story here. A desperate father, a suffering son, and the disciples unable to help. And we know how this goes, right? When, when we're, you're in a group setting trying to solve a problem together and, and it's not working, right? You start to like blame each other. You, you, is, is this just me, right? You start looking at other people and pointing the fingers at them and say, well, you're, you, do, you should have done this and then you should have done this. This is what's happening. They can't seem to help this young guy, this, this boy, and they're starting to argue and fight with each other. And then Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
bring the boy to me. This is one of those moments where Jesus is disruptively honest, right? Those are not easy words to hear from anybody. But Jesus doesn't know how much time he has left, right? His days are numbered, and and he's beginning to worry possibly that maybe his disciples are never going to get it. They're never going to get it. In the previous chapters, we're told about the disciples going out and healing the sick and casting out demons. It's something they've done before, but now suddenly they can't do it anymore. And it's hard to know exactly what's not working for them. But I think sometimes when we have success, when we try something new and we get good results, it encourages us to trust in ourselves and our own talents rather than in God. So maybe what has happened here with the disciples is they've stopped trusting in the power of God and started trusting in their own strengths and abilities to solve the problems in front of them. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. It's a good question for us to ask, to examine ourselves. Have we become dependent on our own talents and skills and efforts instead of being dependent on God and His power? So Jesus says to the desperate father, bring the boy to me. In Mark 9.20 it says, so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. As the boy is brought to Jesus, this evil inside of him throws him to the ground. And he begins to foam at the mouth. Now I've spent 12 years uh, as a firefighter paramedic. And what that means is I've seen plenty of medical scenarios, right? I've seen a lot of seizures in my time. And in the past, when I read this story about this young guy being thrown to the ground, I wrote it off as just a medical emergency. Because it's the ancient world, right? They don't, they don't know medicine like we do now. They don't know what to call it, right? It's a seizure. It's not an evil spirit. It's a seizure. I know what to call it because it's 2,000 years later and we've advanced in how we understand the human body. But I've come to discover that when I felt like that, when I thought that way, I was wrong. See, we live in a world where the power of darkness and evil actively campaigns against us. There is an evil prowling in the dark waiting for us to give them an opportunity to hurt us. Now, evil is powerless against us until we give it power through our sin or submission. But it's, it's, it's foolish to blame everything on the devil. Do you know a person like this? They blame everything on the devil. But it's equally foolish to pretend like the devil doesn't exist. This boy doesn't only have a medical problem. He has a spiritual one. You may have something like that in your body or soul, right? You may have something that you've just written off as just something that you have to live with or some way that you have to feel. But is it possible it might be a spiritual problem? Is it possible that it might be something that you need to talk to Jesus about? Mark continues his story. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the father answers, from childhood it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. And he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This father has lived in constant anxiety 
always worried that his son was going to hurt himself. He never had a moment of peace. In this moment now, he is exhausted. Nothing he has done has been able to help him or his son. And he's been treading for water for so long, he just has nothing left to give. And he looks to Jesus and he just begs, Jesus, if you can, please take pity on us and help us. He asks, if you can, right? If you can. He's not even sure this Jesus can help him anymore. His faith is exhausted. Jesus picks up on this doubt, this expression of doubt, if you can. And Jesus says, if you can, it's a question. Said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. There's no question. Jesus can. Jesus was the spark that lit the universe into existence. Jesus is the thing, the person who sustains the whole universe and all time and matter and space just continue marching towards Jesus' glorious reign in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus can. He can. And he looks his father in the eyes and he reminds him of this. Everything is possible for one who believes. And, and at this moment, the father blurts out, he's so honest, exactly what's on his mind comes straight out of his mouth. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe and I don't believe. A beautiful paradox. Listen to this. This, this is important. Faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. Faith and doubt can occupy the same place at the same time. Part of the human experience is managing the tension between faith and doubt. For City, can we lead the way in normalizing doubt? Can we be the sort of place where someone can hold their doubts safely in front of them and not worry that we're going to judge them and make them feel bad about their doubts? Can we be the sort of place where we sit with, listen to, and talk with people about their doubts without judgment? I think we can do that. Because if we're honest, we all have doubts. Even as I've said that now, something may come to mind, a doubt that you struggle with. It might be an opportunity now for you just to confess that to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I have this doubt. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. After the Horse River fire, I was interviewed by a reporter from the National Post. She thought it was interesting that I was a firefighter and a pastor you know, there, she was looking for a story, and uh, so I sat with her, and I, I talked with her, and I expressed to her uh, some of the feelings that I had felt uh, up here while the fire was happening. It's feelings of failure, feelings of, um, of, of great sorrow for the city I loved, and, and we talked for a little while, and I told her how one of the hardest parts during the fire is I had to ask the question, how can a good God let things like this happen, Right? That's what we often do when bad stuff happens around us. We look, God, how could you, how, how, how? And she took what we talked about, and uh, the next morning on, it's a national newspaper. That was back when newspapers were a thing, right? Uh, it was a national newspaper. The next morning on 
newspapers all across our country was a picture of my face with the byline, firefight or pastor loses faith in the middle of the fire. <laughs> right? Jeez. She didn't understand that I hadn't lost my faith at all. She didn't understand that by exploring my doubt, by examining my faith, I was actually strengthening it and understanding it more deeply. That I was asking Jesus tough questions and listening for his answer. Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. This desperate father has laid his doubt at the feet of Jesus. He has brought his whole self, the good and the bad and the ugly, before Jesus. He's got nothing left to give, which means he has nothing to lose either. Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus, give me faith. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I have nothing to offer. Jesus, you're my only hope. And what does Jesus ask of this desperate father? He doesn't ask him to summon up a mighty faith that can move mountains. He doesn't say pray more, give more, or work harder. He just needs this man to trust that Jesus is exactly who Jesus says he is. And Jesus can do exactly what Jesus said he can do. This man gives Jesus his doubt. And Jesus gives him faith. Jesus turns to the boy who's violently having a seizure on the ground in front of him, violently being tortured by evil. He turns to him and he commands the evil to go. And the boy falls still and Jesus gets down on his knees and he takes this boy's hand and lifts him up to his feet. A beautiful exchange. He is healed and he is made whole. Only Jesus do you need Jesus to give you faith? Do you need Jesus to do what only he can do and help you overcome your unbelief? He can. And he will. I have a friend who has the gift of faith. And it's not something that she's willed up, not something that she's earned by hard work and effort. It's actually something that Jesus has given her because she's desperately sat at his feet praying for faith and saying, Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Her name is Sandra, and this is her story. Let's play it, guys. My faith was growing, definitely growing during that time, bit by bit and it's still growing. Selby actually wanted to be baptized and he came to me and he said, you know, I really want to do that. I want this for my life. This is what I want. Are you on board with me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do that with you. I'm, I'm ready. Selby, Selby had some medical issues with his right leg and he was probably either in a wheelchair or on crutches at that time of baptism. So he couldn't climb into the pool. We talked to you again. 
and you said you said i'll come up with something and yeah you came up with something put down the stools on the plastic on the floor and had the water waiting in the five gallon bucket and dunked it over my head the one thing i remember is your son khalil <laughs> and he was sitting in the front and he said hey that's not right that'll that'll be a part of my memory forever yeah. Yeah. i went down to the hospital for a routine procedure and the doctor came in after and said uh we have to admit you they found out that uh, my liver enzymes had went up substantially and uh, and I was going to have to go on the liver transplant list. It was really hard to hear that I needed a liver. You and Adrian, I guess, invited us uh, to come to your uh, Holy Spirit encounter. A part of it was uh, having groups of people come and stand with you and uh, pray for you and pray for healing. I, I was stood there uh, waiting and Lucas, <laughs> and you look at me and you said, I'm waiting for you, get over here. So uh, you prayed for me and with me and there was a group of people here in the church that came and prayed as well for me and I felt really good about it like I was like that that was really good I you know you never know about I'm gonna say two to three weeks later he called me and he said your numbers are dropping um, it, there's a number that they calculate that tells all basically uh, at 15 they say okay Get her on the transplant list and we'll start on it. We'll start getting everything ready. At 19, it's like now or never. When I was referred to him, my number was 25. So it was quite urgent, quite urgent. The next time I went, it was 19. The next set of tests, it was 14. The next, it was 11 and then told me again and he was he said Sandra I haven't had time to calculate your number but I can guarantee you it's before 11 go home live your life I think it was, it was God it was healing it was a miracle he said like you're you're doing great like you're, whatever it is you're doing he said you keep doing that and Selby and I looked at each other and just pointed up <laughs> I said, because that's the only, the only thing that got me through, like, you know, only Jesus, only Jesus. Only Jesus, only Jesus. Is there healing for your broken body, only Jesus. Is there freedom from the powers of evil? Only Jesus. Is there hope in the face of death? Only Jesus. Is there an answer to this world's never ending, continuous troubles? Only Jesus. 
is there light that can break through the darkness? Only Jesus. One of the lessons that they teach you, one of the first lessons that they teach you about preaching, I haven't taken very many of those, but one of the first lessons they teach you about preaching is always leave some of the, the, your listeners with an action step, an application step, something for them to do, right? What, are, what good is words if it's not followed by actions? But I'm not going to do that this morning. Today I stand before you knowing that there is nothing left for me to do. No next step I can take, no effort I can make that is enough. I stand before you, before God, knowing that the faith in my hands and my heart is not enough. And only when I bring Jesus my not enough, does he change it into more than enough. It's not something I can earn or work for, work harder to get. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer out loud with me. And this prayer is for the person who finds the words to the songs we sang this morning hard to believe. This prayer is for the person whose faith is at war within them. This prayer is for the person who has nothing left to give and needs the faith that only Jesus can give them. If you want to pray this prayer with me, as we pray together, I just want to invite you to hold your hands out in front of you like this. And, and not because there's anything magical or extra spiritual about holding your hands out like this, but today we're praying to receive something from Jesus. And it's okay for the posture of our bodies to reflect the posture of our hearts. If you want to receive faith from Jesus this morning, then pray with me. If you'd like, you can hold your hands out like this. But I invite you to pray out loud with me this, this prayer on the screen behind me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I confess that I have relied too much on my own efforts. I have not trusted you with my life the way I want to. Jesus, I give you my heart. Now take my unbelief. If faith is a gift, then give it to me. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you this morning for the reminder that this desperate father has given us, that faith and doubt can occupy the same space. And that when we bring you our doubt, you exchange it for faith. And so Jesus, I pray all across this room this morning, anybody watching online who has prayed this prayer with us this morning, give us the gift of faith. The sort of faith that can stand in the fire and not be burned. The sort of faith that can move mountains. The sort of faith that brings peace and contentment. The sort of faith that transforms us more and more into living like Jesus. Thank you for this morning, this chance we've had to talk together. I pray you bless.